Heavenly Father, uh, as we look at your word and how you have taught us to pray, I pray that these uh, truths that you have communicated so clearly in here would uh, actually be played out in our lives and help us to uh, remember that our debts have been forgiven and that because of that, we need to forgive others. And we uh, pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so just uh, by, by way of a little bit of re review, um, this is the, the, the Lord's Prayer. And it's one way you can think about it, how it's divided as a little bit, as a little way of review is there are six petitions in here. Uh, the first three petitions are actually God-centered, and the second three petitions are more man-centered. And what we're going to be studying today is verse number 12, which is the fifth petition, um, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now, if you notice something, one of the things that's interesting is this is, this is the prayer. The disciples went to Jesus and say, how are we supposed to pray? So Jesus says, okay, this is how you're supposed to pray. And immediately after the prayer, the next two verses, he's explaining something that was in the prayer. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. So we're going to be talking about, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. There are also, verses 14 and 15, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So we're going to talk about that today. Before we go on further, I just want to, at the beginning, these are uh, some of the resources that, um, uh, that we're going to be using. Uh, Derek Thomas's book, Praying the Savior's Way, is a great, easy to read, but very clear uh, exposition and exposition, um, exposition of the Lord's Prayer. Um, Jay Adams, A Theology of Christian Counseling, he's got a 50-page chapter on forgiveness, so it's kind of important. Ken Sandy, The Peacemaker, he's also got a chapter on forgiveness. Uh, the Peacemaker is a great book uh, for conflict resolution and reconciliation. Yes, the Westminster Larger Catechism and the Westminster Confession of Faith, they'll come into this as well. And uh, my wife found a couple of really interesting articles, one on the Desiring God website and one on Ligonier. So today's verse is, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. If you were to, if you were to go with someone outside the church and say, let's recite the, the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father, pretty much anyone can do that, right? Everyone can, you know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our... Well, okay, great, okay. So what does your translation have? We're, 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 no, Matthew. Okay, but we'll get there. We'll get there. So, what does your translation say? Okay. So, a number of translations: the King James, the ESB, uh, the NASB. They have debts. Some of the newer, more modern translations: uh, the New Living Translation, the New Century Bible, the Living Bible. 
They all have sins, and getting back to what uh, Greg said, going all the way back to the Tyndale Bible in 1526, the Anglican Book of Common Prayer, as recently as the 1979 edition, and, and Roman Catholics, if you're brought up Roman Catholic like myself, it's trespasses. So what's the deal? Okay. <laughs> so, so the most credible translation of the Greek word is actually debts or debtors. But if that's the case, then why, why do we still use other words? And I think it, um, in the article that Kathy found on Desiring God, it actually has more to do with the tradition that you were brought up in than the actual translation. If you're Presbyterian or Reformed, you're probably going to use the word debts. Um, if you're using something that comes from more the, um, the, more, the modern, the, the ecumenical, liturgical uh, traditions, you're probably going to use sins. Um, but if you're from the Anglican or Episcopalian or Methodist or Roman Catholic, you're probably going to use trespasses. So what's, kind of, what's the big deal with this word? Well, I think that what people are trying to convey is this is the seriousness of it. You know, if forgive us our debts, that might not resonate so much with us today because if you have a debt, well, okay, it's a debt, I got a credit card bill or something. It's, it's not that big a deal, but in particularly in going all the way back to, you know, in Jesus' time, if you couldn't pay your debts, you were thrown in jail. And, uh, and so, and then sins, okay, sins, I understand, but why do some people still use trespasses? Why does, like, the Roman Catholic Church use trespasses? Well, I think that one of the ways to think about this is a trespass is, I think we can all understand a trespass. This is a violation. Someone is trespassing. Someone has taken something that doesn't belong to them, or they violated you. And I think that's what people are trying to, come across when they even when they use trespasses when we pray this to try and convey the seriousness of this it, it, it's an offense it's a violation it's a trespass and so that's why it's it's important and that's why Jesus had to explain this after he got through telling them this is how you're supposed to pray and this is what this thing means so even though the, the actual Greek, um, it, it says, uh, forgive us our debts, that's a moral or a financial debt or obligation. But as Andrew brought up in Luke's version, he says, and forgive us our sins. And Luke uses a different Greek word. It's the Greek word that's commonly translated as sins. Then he goes on to say, as we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. So there's a relationship between sin and debt. Sin and debt are, um, are brought together. So which leads, yes, Cynthia. We're going to get to that. 
We're going to talk about that on the very next slide. Tim? Uh, oh, now I got to go back. Um, uh, so it's. Ooh, um, I don't. Someone has like the NIV or, or, the what? What does it have in the NIV? Okay, thank you. So, getting back to uh, Tim's question, so why does a why does a debt need to be paid? And 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 who do we owe the debt to? Come on, this is supposed to be interactive. So, <laughs> yes, yes. Wait, wait. So are you saying there are morals in the Lord's Prayer? Really? <laughs> oh, you guys are good. So the first thing that, again, a sin or a trespass, it's a, it's a wrong against God and man. So w what is our obligation to God. Do we have an obligation to God? Obedience. We're supposed to be unwaveringly, unfailingly, 100% of the time obedient to God. So what happens when we fall short? <laughs> We're in debt. That's right. So now there's a debt. We've, we've failed to meet our obligation. We've taken out a, a moral loan, as Dave said, and now we've failed to meet our obligation. So there's two ways that that obligation or that debt can get satisfied, right? Either I have to pay it back or the, I, as the debtor, have to pay it back or the debtee? The, the, the dead E, or not the, not the predator, Rob, the dead E has to, they have to eat the, you know, eat the loan. <sighs> All right, that's going a little bit farther than I wanted to go. So the thing is, forgiveness is costly, okay? So... If, as the debtor, I'm unable to pay this loan or this obligation, then the person to whom I owe this debt or obligation, they've got to pay for it, right? Someone's got to pay for this. And just, just so that we keep it in the forefront of our minds, our forgiveness was purchased at the cost of Jesus' life, okay? This is serious stuff. Um, and this is actually something that 
in some respects, we celebrate each Sunday at the, uh, uh, during the Lord's Supper where without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness or no remission of sin. Right? So, and we're going to get to it. Uh, the Westminster Larger Catechism actually has a whole section on, uh, on, this, on the fifth petition, but I'm just going to focusing on the debt part. So question 194, don't feel bad, it's the second from the end, so don't worry if you don't usually get there. But um, in the fifth petition, which is forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, acknowledging that we and all others are guilty both of original and actual sin and thereby become debtors to the justice of God and that we ne neither we nor any other creature can make the least satisfaction of that debt. So, so we're, we're in debt and there's nothing we can do about it. So God, who is the debtee, he's got to assume all of the responsibility and all of the cost for satisfying that debt. So in uh, one of the articles that, that Kathy found, um, there was this really good quote from uh, Philip Ryken. Um, it's kind of a long quote, but um, I, I think it really helps to, uh, for us to understand the nature of the debt and how serious it is. So he says, when God remits our debts, he is well within his legal rights. For the scripture says that he took our sin away, canceling the record of debt that stood against us. So he canceled that debt by nailing it to the cross. Now, why, why is this such a, a vivid image? Because this is actually something that happened in the ancient world. So the way a debt would be canceled, like it used to be maybe like with our parents, that when you paid off your mortgage, you would get the mortgage and you would burn it up that it's paid off. Well, in the ancient world, they would actually take the debt and they would put a nail through it to say, this is done. This is finished. But that's actually what happened with Christ on the cross. God drove a nail right through the infinite debt of our sin. There's no longer any outstanding charges against us. When Jesus goes on the cross, it is finished. The actual the Greek words there, hopefully I'm right, Andrew, it was actually referred to a financial transaction, like this has been satisfied, paid in full. So, changing gears a little bit, is anything different about this particular petition? Can you think of anything? So, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Is there anything different about this than any of the other petitions in the Lord's Prayer? Dave. Um, does it turn our attention away from God? Because for the first part of it, who are we asking to forgive us? Okay, Tim? Yep. Very good. Yep. 
Yeah, that's right. So we're praying that God will forgive us as we forgive others. It's not just, well, sometimes if you feel like it, yeah, I'll forgive that person. But it's like, no, this is as we forgive others. So getting to what uh, Tim said, and Kathy made this original observation to me, and I thought it was great. This is the only place in the Lord's Prayer that says we have to do something. All the other parts of the Lord's Prayer is he's doing it, right? He's, yes. Thank you. I thought I was the only one. Um, no, it's, I, yeah, this is, yeah, we have to do something. And Jesus expands on this. Um, yeah, so, uh, again, in the Philip Reichen article, article, he has a really um, interesting thing. The prayer for forgiveness is the only petition in the Lord's Prayer that comes with a condition attached, which is just what, um, just what Tim said. There's, there's a condition. There's something that we're supposed to do. Um, and getting back to the, 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 the uh, Desiring God article, Jesus wanted his disciples to understand sin both in the sense of owing a debt and also a sense of a, a trespass. What's a trespass? We're trespassing into territory that doesn't belong to us. Okay, it's, a, it's a violation. So those things are linked. So brings me to another question. So what are we asking for when we're asking God to, uh, to forgive us our sins? Uh, <laughs> forgive us our debts. Oh, Kathy, sorry. But we're not so, but so sometimes in order to understand what something is, you have to understand what it's not. So we're not asking for daily justification because that happens just once for all time. But so actually, one way to look at it is what we're asking for it's a prayer so that we can have personal fellowship restored with God because that fellowship has been hindered by sin. And that those who have received such forgiveness are so moved with gratitude towards God that they eagerly forgive those who are debtors to them. Right? Everyone agree with that? So... Yeah, well, that's the way it's supposed to work. So what happens um, if we don't forgive others? So um, can anyone think of an illustration of unforgiveness? Okay, I did not work this out with him ahead of time. So just so 
So, Tim, you want to read that for us? graphic illustration. So because I'm a geek, I figured out, so okay, so what would be, how much is 10,000 talents of gold? So as of last week, 10,000 talents of gold is approximately 17 billion dollars with the B. That is, I think that's as astronomical a sum now as it was back in Jesus' days. So on the contrary, so 100 denarii, if a denarii was a day's wages, you're okay, 10 bucks an hour, eight hours a day, $80 a day. So that's $8,000. So our debt to each other is $8,000. I mean, roughly, but our debt to God is 17 billion dollars. I I can't I don't know. I don't know about you, but I can't really get my head around 17 billion actual dollars. I can get my head around $8,000? Yeah, Dave. I don't, we will talk about um, is forgiveness conditional or unconditional? I think, so is, is that kind of where you're going with it? So is, so was, well there's, if, well if you go back to Matthew 6.14, or 6.15, if you do not forgive others their trespasses against you, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. So there's, you know, I don't know about revoking, but there's definitely 
you know, it, it's, unforgiveness is serious. So um, the medieval theologian Anselm, um, he wrote a treatise called Cur Deo Homo, which is why did God become man? Uh, and then he's trying to explain things to this character named Bozo. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not making this up. So he, he's explaining this, he's explaining something to this character named Bozo, and he says, you have not yet considered the greatness of the weight of sin. The, now, I don't know about you, but I'm Bozo, because I don't understand the greatness of the weight of sin. Not only is, you know, the $17 billion, that's kind of, not only can, I can't really wrap my head around that, I don't want to wrap my head around that. You know, I don't really want to consider how much of a debt that I have to God. Now, for someone else, for the 8000 bucks, I can wrap my head around that. But, so I think it's really important that we, that we really understand what forgiveness actually is and what we are being forgiven, the debt that we actually have. So I, I, uh, I found this quote. It was actually, I heard it in an Alistair Begg sermon, and I just want to see um, what you think about it. Uh, this is from George MacDonald, who's a, a Scottish, uh, uh, Scottish pastor. So he said, it may be infinitely less evil to murder a man than to refuse to forgive him. The former may be an act of passion, the act of a moment of passion. The latter is the heart's choice. So what, do you, what do you think about that? To uh, just to do what God has already done, right. or is yeah. Also, mm -hmm. also he's asking Anyone else? Any other reactions? Dave? So we'll get into this a little bit later, but my question is, do they really forgive or do they just make excuses? Yes, there is. We're going to talk about that later. So anyone else have any thoughts about this quote? Because this, this was 
when, when I heard this on the radio, I was like, whoa. Yeah, Ethan. Yeah. That's right. But although, if you think about it, I mean, you could kill someone accidentally. I mean, and, and actually there's provision in the Old Testament that had the cities of refuge, where it said if you killed someone unintentionally, you could go to the, to the city of refuge um, without someone taking vengeance on you before your case could be adjudicated. I think the point that George MacDonald is making here is even though you might accidentally kill someone, there's no such thing as accidental unforgiveness. Like Cynthia said, it is, it's, you know, it, it's, like Alistair Begg said, it is a cold, calculated decision of the heart. Scott, I think you had your hand up. Tim, did you? Right, because, well, I don't know about you, but forgiveness has not come naturally to me. Um, and maybe some of you else have problems with it. Kathy? Amen. Amen. So, I, I hope I've been able to convey that forgiveness is actually important. Um, it's, it, it's, it's more than important, it's essential. Because actually, it's one of the things, it's really, if you think about it, it's the only thing that distinguishes us, you know, as Christians. Because we're a forgiven people. You know, if we've admitted our sinfulness, admitted that we have this debt that we can't repay, and that someone else has paid the debt for us. Um, so, because we have been forgiven, again, I'm, I'm going to keep coming back, don't really hold me to these numbers, but it's just from a magnitude point of thing, 17 billion versus 8,000. So, since we have been forgiven of this incalculable debt, we're called to forgive others. Um, and then there's, there's a, a couple of scriptures uh, that I'd like to, um, just frankly, you guys probably know them. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. 
There's another one, Colossians 3.13. Again, we're supposed to bear with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Again, this is what the scripture says, but I don't know about you. It's, it's hard. Um, it's hard to forgive. Uh, I well, I find it. Maybe there's too much information, but um, so we show the evidence of our justification um, by gracefully forgiving others. And getting to the point that um, that Dave made uh, a couple minutes ago. So again, sometimes what we have to figure out what something is by what it's not. Forgiveness is not forgetting, and it's not overlooking sin. You know, they have these, you know, these welcoming churches and rainbow things and stuff. I mean, they're just not even recognizing that something is actually a sin, an obligation, a debt that we owe to God. Um, once again, the purpose and the goal of Christ's death was to bring forgiveness of sins. So, I mean, that just kind of brings us back uh, full circle. So, forgiveness is important. Uh, yeah, Andrew? Yes, it's a fruit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. If, if there's no fruit, like, you know, James talks about, you know, if you can't just be a hearer of the word, you've got to be a doer. And if you don't have any acts that demonstrate, you know, this, this saving faith, then have you really been saved in the first place? Yes, Teresa. Well, it's, it's not just themselves, but it's also if you're not extending forgiveness to someone, you're, you're injuring them as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's a... Uh, yeah. So forgiveness is important, but what does actually the word forgiveness mean in the Bible? Because I think it helps to have this picture of what this actually means. So um, in the Old Testament, there's two principal Hebrew words. And 
I'm going to butcher it. I know I am, so please. Um, so there's two, word, two principal words in the Old Testament for forgiveness. One is salak, um, and it means to lighten by lifting. Now, one of the things that's interesting about this word, it is always used of God forgiving man. It is never used of man forgiving man. Um, there's a number of places where this uh, occurs in the Old Testament. So you think about it as God is lifting something. He's lifting essentially a burden of debt or a burden of sin from us. So that's, so that's one word. Um, the other word is nasa, nasa, um, which means to take away by lifting. So it's like to bear away or to carry off sin. Um, and what's kind of interesting is some of the places where this occurs, Genesis 50, 17, that's where uh, Joseph is talking to his brothers. Because his brothers think, oh no, he's, he's going he's to get us back for what we did to him. Um, and in Psalm 32, this is one of, uh, one of David's penitential psalms. So, so, these are, so if you have this picture of either taking something away or lifting, just lifting this burden. So those are the words in the Old Testament for forgiveness. Um, in the New Testament, I did practice this, but afiami? Sort of kind of, all right. So in the New Testament, this word means to let go, to release, or remit. So this is actually a financial term, or, or even a legal term. It means to cancel a debt or to pay in full. And I think it's also, there's a usage, I don't know if it's biblical or extra biblical, where it's, it refers to a, a prisoner being released. Um, and the, the, the second word is haritzamai. So this means to bestow favor freely or unconditionally. And we've already talked about two of the verses um, where this occurs in Ephesians uh, 4.32 and Colossians 3.13. So that's what forgiveness means in the Bible. So now that we understand what the words mean, let's have another question. If our sins are forgiven by Christ, why do we need to ask for forgiveness? And the implication is in the context of the Lord's Prayer, why do we need to do that daily? Okay. okay. Anyone else? Yeah, I mean, not, not to put too fine a point on it. It's because we keep on sinning. So, so, and to kind of help, at least to help me um, understand this, um, the, actually the Westminster Confession of Faith, actually the section on uh, justification in chapter 11 is, um, is pretty helpful. So it's kind of a long quote, but God doth continue to forgive the sins of those that are justified. And although they can never fall from the state of justification, yet they may, by their sins, fall under God's fatherly displeasure and not have the light of his countenance restored unto them until they humble themselves, confess their sins, beg pardon, and renew their faith and repentance. So uh, this is 
kind of a, you know, this is a, a picture of the difference between justification and sanctification, um, if you think about it. And there's a, um, so can anyone think of a, an example in scripture where this might be illustrated? There was a, uh, another example that um, in the, the Derek Thomas book uh, that he talks about talks about in John chapter 13 where Jesus washes the feet of their of the disciples and remember when he gets to Peter and first Peter says oh, no you don't you don't need to wash my feet but then Jesus when Jesus insists he goes well all right if you're going to do that then wash my head and my hands too and do you remember what Jesus said in response to that? It says, someone who has had a bath doesn't need to have everything washed again. You just need to have your feet washed. So I think this is a, this is a, a picture, and don't, don't misunderstand me. It doesn't mean you only have to have one bath for the, you know, for the entirety of your life. But it's like just, but work with me on this. All right, so if you've had a bath, you don't need to have a second bath you just need to have your, your feet washed. So it brings us to, uh, in the Jay Adams book, he has a really good table, and I thought I would walk through it, of the difference between really justification and sanctification, or he calls it judicial forgiveness versus parental forgiveness. Because if you remember what the Westminster Confession of Faith said, it was we We've only been justified once, but because we continue to sin, we fall under God's fatherly displeasure. So the first thing is, is guilt. If we're talking about justification, if we haven't been justified yet, then the guilt that we have is, is because we're liable to eternal punishment. Whereas if we've been justified and we're under sanctification, we have a liability to temporal punishment. And again, so the punishment, if we haven't been justified, then punishment is it's a just desert from God. You know, for the wages of sin is death. And all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But if we've been justified and are, are in the sanctification process, then our punishment is more like a remedial or a disciplinary uh, thing from God. You know, God says, I discipline those whom I love. And so, what's the, what's the picture of God? So, before you're justified, God is the judge. But after we've been justified, God's our Father. Right? Romans 8, we can call him Abba. We can call him Daddy. So, the, the rebuke that we get from before we've been justified, the rebuke is, is condemnation. Right? The wages of sin is death. 
But when we've been justified and are, are in the process of, of sanctification, the rebuke that we get from God is correction. So, and then we also have a sense of, a, a sense of guilt. So under justification, that sense of guilt it produces a fear of judgment. But on the sanctification side, it's remorse over offending the Father. So, and even confession is different. For before we've been justified, our confession is it's an enemy surrendering. Because in, in uh, Romans 5, it's, you know, we were enemies of God. While we were enemies, Christ died for the ungodly. But again, once we've been, once we've been justified, our confession is that of a, of a child submitting to God's, you know, to God's discipline. So forgiveness, forgiveness looks different. If you haven't been, if you've just been justified, forgiveness is, it lifts the threat of hell. But if you've been justified, then um, under sanctification, it lifts the threat of temporal punishment. And finally, when we get to the, the, uh, the relationship with God, when we're justified, there's actually a new relationship with God. We can, we're, no, we're no longer a child of wrath. We're a child of God. We've been adopted into his family. Whereas once we've been uh, in the sanctification process, um, it actually improves a previous relationship with God which has been hindered by sin. So, another question. Does God forgive us when we don't repent? Dave? All right. Will the ushers please escort Mr. Babbitt out of the room? So, any? Yes. So, uh, so I, look, I, I did a pretty cursory look at this. Um, there's lots of verses we can point to, but there's a number of uh, verses that I think speak to this in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Um, actually, uh, Isaiah uh, chapter 1. Zion shall be re redeemed by justice, and those in her who repent by righteousness. But rebels and sinners shall be broken together, and those who forsake the Lord shall be consumed. Sorry. Okay, all right, all right. So um, Acts chapter 2, this is part of uh, uh, Peter's sermon at Pentecost. Now when they, this is the people who he was preaching to, the context is he had just told them that Jesus was the Christ whom they crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. 
I'm actually talking about more in the, in the context of forgiveness. And we're going to... Yeah. Or the, yeah, the, yeah, this is a, yeah. Um, one more, First uh, John 8 9, this is a really familiar passage. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So that leads to my next question. Should we grant forgiveness to the unrepentant? Right, we've already talked about how forgiveness is really important. We owe this big debt, but what happens if uh, do we forgive say it, unconditionally? Any thoughts? Yes. Okay. Um, so. Uh, you want to expand on that, Bill? Well, I think in, in Scripture it's very clear that the wisdom first throwing itself to someone who's been inside it. And your objective is to relinquish sin and help and correct and repent. Mm-hmm. If that doesn't work, then of course we take the title and refer to the retaliation. Right. It's church church discipline. He allows us to wallow in our sin and to suffer the consequences of it before we come back to him. Um, so here's a passage from, from Luke chapter 17 um, where Jesus says, Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. Actually, this is what, what Bill was talking about from Matthew 18. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day, and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. So, so, I, so yes, Cynthia. Or, or love overlooks a multitude of, yeah. uh, of offenses. So I think we can break it down. And uh, Ken Sandy is a really good. Um, section on this. It's a two-stage process. The first stage is we must always be willing to forgive from the heart. 
I mean, this is an attitude that we have to have. And, you know, it's, it's almost an attitude with a warning. You know, if you forgive others their trespasses, your, heaven, your Father who is in heaven will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive you. So we must always have an attitude where we would be willing to forgive. But this is between us and God. Remember, keep coming back to these numbers, 17 billion versus 8,000, okay? So I did this last week, so the price of gold must have gone up. So, um, but the granting of forgiveness, I think the granting of condition of forgiveness is conditional upon repentance. Um, so, yes, Tim. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I don't know if, if uh, in Romans 12 there's a thing about, you know, as far as it is possible with you, live peaceably with others. I don't know if this is directly applicable to this, but um, but so the important thing is, again, we have been forgiven of such an enormous debt that we should always have an attitude of forgiveness. And I don't know about you, I don't always have an attitude of forgiveness, but one of the things that this study has been really helpful is in trying to bring it um, to my mind. Uh, and both of these stages of forgiveness have actually been, been demonstrated uh, for, by God. All right? When Jesus was on the cross, one of the things that he said was, Father, forgive them because they know not what they do. So that's, but then in, in Peter's sermon on, on Pentecost, which we already talked about, when the people heard Peter preaching that, Jesus was the Christ, and they crucified him. He said they were, they were cut to the heart. And Peter said, repent for the forgiveness of your sins. And I didn't do the verse after that, and 3,000 were added to their number that day. So 3,000 people repented that day. <sighs> All right, and we are oh, we're running out of time. A couple slides up. Okay, so what does forgiveness look like? Number one, it's a conscious act of the will. All right, and it is an active process. Um, so, so in Isaiah 45:23, it says, "God, I am He who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins." Now, this is not saying that God forget your sins, or it's like, "Oh yeah, I can't." I, oh, you didn't do. Oh yeah, I, yeah, I forgot. No, He chooses not to remember. He is doing this consciously. He's saying, I will not remember, I will not count those sins against you. So forgiveness, it's not a feeling. It's not like, oh, well, I don't really feel like forgiving this person. Okay, that's not what it is. It's a promise. It's a commitment. And it's a commitment to do at least these three things. Number one, I am not going to bring the matter up again or hold it against you. I'm not going to bring this matter up to others. And third, and the one that I struggle with, I will not bring up the matter to myself. I'm not going to brood on it. I'm not going to have this root of bitterness. Um, I think that, that Cynthia, this bitterness and resentment. Um, 
So this is a quote from C.S. Lewis I thought was really good. To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. Oh, man, and now we're going to race through the last uh, couple. I think David brought this up um, a, a while ago. So is apologizing the same as forgiveness? So how is it different? And Because we're short on time. So apologizing says, I'm sorry. So is that, is that good enough? Nope. So there's one question you ask is, well, what are they sorry for? Are they sorry that they got caught and have to pay the consequences? Or it's like, well, I'm not really sorry, but I'm just going to say I'm sorry just to get the person off my back, you know, which I've been guilty of way too many times to my wife and kids. Um, um, and if you just say you're sorry, that doesn't elicit any response from the person that was sinned against. You're just saying, I'm sorry. And there's no acknowledgment that they sinned against God. And here's the thing, getting back, this is the thing that's always really struck me about Psalm 51, where David goes, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Now, if you, if you look at that from a purely human perspective, I'm pretty sure David sinned against Bathsheba and Uriah from a human perspective. But what he's acknowledging in there, and again, this gets back to the 17 billion versus the 8,000, his sin was against God. My sins are against God. And a God who is so holy that the seraphim that he created for the express purpose of worshiping and glorifying him 24-7, they have two wings that cover their eyes. They can't even look at the God that they were created to worship. That's how holy God is. Now, do I have that sense of the greatness of the weight of my sin? Eh, not so much. So, also, when you say you're sorry, no forgiveness takes place. There's no commitment or promise. And, as Cynthia pointed out, resentment can occur in a relationship. So, how is asking for forgiveness different? If you say, will you forgive me, this is an admission. And particularly, when you say, will you forgive me, well, will you forgive me for what? You actually have to be specific, which, again, I have an issue with. But you're admitting sin and repentance. Now, the onus is then shifted to the other person to grant forgiveness. And this is where we get back to, if you forgive others their sins, your Heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you don't... And the other thing is, now there's a concrete response that's requested from the other person. And the matter's put to rest. Okay, so um, I just... I know we're a little bit over time, but I do want to read... This is from the Philip Ryken article. I think this is... Um, a great way to, uh, to close our study on, um, on forgiveness. This is a story from uh, Richard Wormbrand. He once met a man who had experienced the divine release that comes through forgiveness. Wormbrand was in a communist prison in Romania at the time, lying in a prison cell reserved for those who were dying. In his cot on his right was a pastor who had been beaten so badly that he was about to die. 
On his left was the very man who had beaten him, a communist who was later betrayed and tortured by his comrades. One night, the communist awakened in the middle of a nightmare and cried out, please, pastor, say a prayer for me. I have committed such crimes. I cannot die. The pastor feebly got up, stumbled past Wormbrand's cot, and sat at the bedside of his enemy. As he watched, Wormbrand saw the pastor caress the hair of the man who had tortured him and speak these amazing words. I have forgiven you with all of my heart, and I love you. If I, who am only a sinner, can love and forgive you, more so can Jesus, who is the Son of God and who is love incarnate, return to him. He longs for you much more than you long for him. He wishes to forgive you much more than you wish to be forgiven. You just repent. There in the prison cell, the communist began to confess all his murders and tortures. When he had finished, the two men prayed together, embraced, and returned to their beds, where each died that very night. The Romanian pastor had learned how to forgive. He had learned this from Jesus, who first forgave his debts and then taught him to forgive his debtors. This same Jesus forgives us and delivers us, for by his death on the cross, he has canceled our debt and destroyed the power of the devil. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would uh, just drive home the, uh, both the uh, incredible grace and magnitude of your forgiveness of us and how uh, not only are we called, but you actually enable us to, uh, to forgive others. Help us to remember this, Lord. Help us to remember, first and foremost, that we have been forgiven and that we need to do the same. Uh, we pray this in the name of Jesus, your son, who demonstrated and is the vehicle by which uh, you have forgiven us. Amen.